Hello and welcome to Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paulos, Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Chef Andrea Murdoch, chef and founder of Four Directions Cuisine. I'm so thrilled to introduce a culinary visionary who is transforming the way we approach food, culture, and sustainability. With deep roots as an indigenous Andean from Venezuela and a background in the legendary Culinary Institute of America, Chef Andrea's expertise lies in creating seasonal gourmet dishes using locally grown and native produced ingredients. Her commitment to honoring the land, uplifting indigenous traditions, and combating food insecurity is awe-inspiring as well. Today, we delve into the remarkable journey and impactful work of Chef Andrea Murdoch, a true champion of community, of healthy and regenerative cuisine, and of food systems. Thank you so much for speaking to us today, Andrea. This is a conversation that I've been looking forward to for so many months now. And so how about we start there and you tell us a little bit about how you are, where you are today in terms of both the work that you do and your understanding of food and the food system. Yes. So uh, I was originally born in Caracas, Venezuela. Uh, I am a transracial adoptee and we believe my indigeneity is uh, from the San Luis region, which is the western border of um our western side of Venezuela on the eastern border of Colombia. And so, um, you know, as a transracial adoptee, uh, as a, an adoptee in general, uh, there are elements of background and culture and heritage that that do end up getting uh, lost or disjointed, uh, whatever it may be. And so, um, you know, with uh, American parents who, you know, I have a Polish mother and a Scottish and English father, and then I'm the Sandina. Um, I, I, I ended up utilizing food as my, my educator. Um, and so that is the, one of the main ways that I have been, uh, decolonizing aspects of my life, reconnecting, relearning, uh, ancestral ways and I have the huge, huge honor of being able to pass on that knowledge. Um, so I'm very much um, constantly, constantly learning um, as we all are, but in this very um, particular way where, you know, I'll work with an ingredient perhaps that I've never worked with before. Um, I remember working with amaranth for the first time and I, I just had certain intuitions that I did not know that I had. Uh, and so when I, I used the seed correctly uh, and whatever it was that I was making came out, you know, in a, in a favorable way in my mind, I was just like, huh, well, that was fun. What else, what else is out there? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Um, and so it's been such a, such an impactful and, and also healing journey. So um, that's that's uh, the short version of how I, I ended up doing uh, what I do. I, I've always had a fascination uh, with food, and I thought it was the coolest thing to take raw ingredients and turn them into a beautiful dish that other people uh, would enjoy. And uh, my initial attraction wasn't necessarily, you know, people in a restaurant enjoying it. It was just making it for my family you know, making something that, you know, my parents liked. And then it was making something that, you know, my, my partner liked, and then it was making food that, um, you know, my friends really enjoyed and, you know, just this, um, uh, just this, uh, this process of nourishing people while I was also nourishing myself, both with food and with education and with culture. And it's, it's just been the coolest little journey. Yeah. Wow, that is so beautiful. Um, you know, and it's a big hot topic right now about regenerative food systems. And uh, there is a lot of, uh, at least amongst the conscious community who are seriously working on regenerative food systems, um, there is a lot of um, genuine recognition about the value of indigenous food systems and the wisdom they hold for the transformation that we're desperately seeking through 
research and different forms of Western science. But there, this information, this wisdom is already part of indigenous cultures in, from many communities across the world. It's very local. It's very contextual. Um, and uh, it's also sort of this meeting point for culture, identity, for um, health as well, right? So how how has that sort of um, worked? Um, how does that sort of brought you to this, this place where, you know, you're a trained chef and you've worked in some big hotels and now you do, you're doing this incredible work, which is really born out of an understanding of food. So how has the indigenous wisdom that uh, ha has been a part of your heritage really helped you with this journey? I want to say, oh my gosh, there have been so many amazing lessons. Um, th I think for me at the, uh, at the core of our indigenous teachings and understanding and education is that we are all relatives. And that doesn't mean that we as humans are all relatives and that's it. We are relatives with the plants. We are relatives with the animals. And so having that mindset and that understanding that we are all in relation with one another, that there is um, a balance to have in our ecosystems, in our life, um, and just in all of these both tangible and in intangible ways, you know, one thing is out of balance and, you know, you start to notice that pull in other aspects. Um, and, you know, I just, I see that a lot in, in restaurants. I see a lot of waste. I see um, a lot of really, really razor thin profit margins. And therefore, um, uh, I see a lot of uh, folks decide that, okay, the way that we're going to, you know, figure out these, you know, razor thin profit margins is we're going to buy the cheapest thing possible. And we'll just, you know, do what we do in the kitchen, sauce it, do whatever. Um, and no one will be the wiser. Um, but then there's, you know, the issue of waste and, you know, do you have a perfect brunoise cut? Do you have a perfect um, batonet cut? Do you have a perfect whatever? And then, you know, where are all of these vegetable scraps going in the name of having that perfect cut, having that perfect little cube, you know, on the diner's plate, you know, at what cost are all of these things going out to the consumers? And just recognizing uh, the level of waste and that that's not what our ancestors did. If an animal was hunted and killed, it was not for game. It wasn't for fun. It was because we needed the meat. And then once we were done with the meat, then we would use the hide, you know, for tools, for instruments, uh, for whatever. We would use the bones for tools, um, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a waste not culture and a waste not community. Uh, so to see the level of waste and the lack of respect for ingredients and products and, you know, you, you don't even know what farm it's coming from. Uh, you might see where, you know, what country the product is coming from, but there's no context other than that. You don't know the origins, like the etymology. Um, so many people still think that tomatoes are Italian and potatoes are Irish. Both of those crops originated in South America. Roughly 70% of the world's food export originated somewhere in the Americas, North, South, Mezzo. Um, and so just seeing all of these things uh, and, and tapping into more and more uh, my ancestral uh, education and, and community and, and, and education just really, really has shifted things for me over the past several years and has led me to, to really dive headfirst into the work that I do. That's, it's one of those things that I've always, well, I always miss in today's sort of way we eat is the seasonality of food. So, and, and you were just speaking of how when you hunt something and there is it's very mindful and it's it's for food it's also for uh there's no waste and it's it's also with this kind of a longer sort of range vision it's not just about 
uh, eat today and throw the rest, but rather thinking of the next season. And I, uh, it is uh, it is a big part of my culture as well that there are that you eat seasonal food, um, not just because it's the only thing that's available, but it also because it is what the earth is producing, and therefore it's what supports what you need in that particular season right so um how has uh, as a as as a well your your heritage itself and the way that you understand food um but also as a chef when you're cooking and how does well-being of the person who's consuming the food and this person is eating it and the well-being of um nature which is very seasonal and how can seasonal food really um, be, become a part of our uh, culture in, in today's context? A lot of it really does have to do with education because we have these, you know, super box stores um, where, you know, lychee gets flown in, um, pineapple gets flown in, avocados get flown in. Um, and because so many things are accessible to us 12 months out of the year, um, uh, we've lost, uh, as, as a, you know, general society, we've lost uh, our seasonal sense. We've lost our, um, uh, our compass in that sense. Um, uh, a lot of folks associate lemonade with summertime refreshment. Citrus is actually a winter crop, you know, for, for us here in, in the U.S., you know, Florida oranges are, are on like gangbusters in, uh, in, in the winter months, um, you know, and same with lemons. But, you know, I see, you know, more lemonade on, on menus and um, just like, oh, yes, this is what we want because we can, because it's there, because we can fly it in, because we can ship it in. Um, and I, I, there's just a lot of education to, to be done around what, what seasonality really is, what, what is actually available, um, season by season, what's actually available in August, what is, you know, at the peak of freshness, as opposed to, oh, this is most desirable for whatever reason that it's desirable to the individual. So there's a lot, a lot of it really does come down to education and understanding what is actually seasonal what is actually growing um month yeah. by month you know or in some cases week by week you know if you're a forager ramps um garlic scapes those have short windows um lilacs have incredibly short windows when i see the lilac bloom i understand that i have less than a month um i probably have less than 3 weeks um depending on what the weather pattern is like you know if we get uh, an unusual uh spring frost that's it. Lilacs are gone until next year. Well, wow, that's really fascinating. I did not know that. Uh, I mean, didn't did not occur to me at all that lemon in that part of the world is is such a winter fruit. Um, you know, and and this whole conversation about regenerative farming systems and regenerative agriculture. Um, I there is a lot of lot of uh, endeavors to figure out this new balance of how do we grow food. Um, but I also see a lot of times the seasonality aspect of it missing um, because everybody wants everything. Um, so you're producing here, sending it somewhere else, producing somewhere else, sending it here. Um, and in And that's a big aspect, which I feel very powerfully about because it's being produced at that time for a reason. And just like how nature is responding to a particular condition, um, all other beings are also benefiting from consuming this, this fruit. Um, and except in few restaurants, in few parts of the world, it's really difficult to get very seasonal food, especially in sort of urban contemporary setups, right? Like you have to be... Uh, doing all the work of figuring out what is what is uh, uh, seasonal and who is cooking it, and just you're up. That's not at all part of our narrative, and that 
is a to me is a big loss because it I feel like it's doing one it's about well-being and about not stressing the earth out to make it produce something that it's not supposed to be producing mm-hmm. but there's also all of this other uh, other complexities that are coming with it when food has to come from some some other part of the world and and then that it doesn't complete the cycles of life you know that it doesn't go back to the compost into the earth where it came from and all of this but um the other important aspect that to me um is, is something i care very much in about and i'm just i respect that the work that you're doing this in so much and there's so much incredible value that you're putting out into the world and that's yeah, your work with communities and uh uh indigenous food systems and growing food uh and i uh you know i read about the pachamama 5280 the the project that that is um something that you put out in the world and uh i'd love to talk a little bit more about that and um if you could just take us through what you're doing there absolutely i'd love to uh so pachamama 5280 is a gardening project that i have been conceptualizing in my brain for years and i finally had the right conversations with the right folks um found a fiscal sponsor in a nonprofit in the san luis valley uh and i was able to land uh roughly a $2500 grant to um essentially parcel out the the land that i live on into three so legally it's it's one parcel of course um but i kind of segmented it into threes and so the front of the land i completely zeroscaped um with rock built garden beds uh with like reclaimed wood recycled wood um uh you know got working on you know getting the the soil right understanding you know what naturally grows here at this altitude um trying to kind of cross reference it with crops that grow at a similar altitude in the andes so kind of doing that lateral comparison um and uh bringing uh community members out so that it's an educational community garden so it's not a community garden where you you know pay a fee for you know a plot a garden bed and you grow your own food it's very education based uh so i am so 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 thrilled that a youth group um from a local nonprofit that runs uh a summer summer program uh for our youth in the the Denver area they a small group of them is uh coming to Pachamama 5280 and they're going to be my first youth group uh who comes up and uh it's actually uh uh I've been asked back by this organization because last year I went to their facility and did a seed saving presentation and we're working with you know primarily if not all uh BIPOC youth and to see you know i want to say 10 to 15 year olds light up at the thought of seed saving for there to be um uh you know a cultural connection between oh yeah i remember my tia you know my aunt um you know growing x y and z or i remember my abuela my grandmother uh growing certain things and to see them make that connection and realize oh 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 that's that's an option for me. That's cool. And so the organization reached out about um uh doing a follow-up workshop this year for the program and I said, you know that project Pachamama 5280 that I told you about, you know that dream of mine. They said, "Yeah, absolutely." I said, "Well, guess what? I pulled it off. You know, would you like to be the first group that that comes up? That would be so meaningful and impactful." Uh and so in uh in about a week or two, they'll they'll be up here and I get to show them, you know, how I structured the front, why I structured it that way, the importance of crop rotation, you know, I'll point out where crops were last year and then I'll point out where they are this year and why there's that shift. Um and uh and then uh in future years to come, I'm hoping to be able to expand it. Um uh, maybe there's um, you know, land that's gifted for you know expanding this project and having um more food that we grow and maybe then there is um a community plot where folks can come and and grow their own food or there there's a continuation of 
um, workshops and classes where I'm trying to find other Indigenous educators, someone who knows about um, uh, solar food dehydration, whether it's this is how you lay your salmon, your elk, your whatever, your plants out, um, and this is how you protect it from the wildlife so that you know you can preserve it for your family. Here's how you make an offering, um, um, all the way to to canning. You know, both um, uh, modern day preservation techniques, healthy ones. You know, like canning. Uh, we're not bringing salt barrels back here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, but as well as you know, traditional. This is what our ancestors did to preserve food because we certainly didn't have you know uh, refrigeration. But you know, if you're on the plains and you make you know, you, you hunt buffalo, it's like, you're obviously not going to just eat buffalo for a day or two. Um, so just all of these elements that help to empower our community members. Um, and then I'm working on putting together small grow kits, um, where participants get uh, seeds for either lettuces or microgreens, maybe both, uh, maybe something to make a little salsa garden in if they have like a back patio area, you don't need a lot of space. Um, but, you know, in in taking consideration that we have a lot of uh, city native folks in our communities, they might just have a one foot by one foot space somewhere. And it's like, great, here's some microgreen seeds. Here's an egg uh, flat, you know, 30 eggs total. It's about a foot by a foot, 10 inches by 10 inches. Um, here's like a one foot grow lamp. Uh, you won't see a, a shift in your power bill. Don't worry about that because it's so low, um, so low in consumption, energy consumption. And then, you know, here's some soil. This is how you're going to grow microgreens, you know? And sometimes they look at you, you know, pretty skeptical, like, are, are you sure about that? And then they successfully do it for the first time. And there's a switch that, that happens. And instead of being intimidated by this or feeling like, um, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to mess it up. You know, I'm not a farmer. Um, then there's this uh, this question of, I did this. That's cool. Well, what else can I do now? And then that continues the education because you've unlocked the minds um, and, and made it attainable and accessible. Wow. What really stood out to me is how the idea of people linking relinking with their own food, um, which is such an important part of the way humanity evolves itself, right? Like food is our basic resource. Um, and I, one of the things that I was thinking of this last week was how helpless most people are really feeling, whether we're able to express it or not. There is this feeling that the earth has slipped away from our control and there is nothing we can do about our food systems. There is nothing we can do. There is um, there is this, this inability to have that agency for the food, a basic right. Um, other things as well, whether it's water or ability to find shelter and peace, but especially in the context of food, um, and I think that's a, a very interesting um, aspect of what you're talking about, that this is a way for people to really regain autonomy over their food, at least in part, that you're not dependent on um, other people's or uh, other people or other countries or geopolitical systems, which is which when you really think about it, when you really step back and think of, oh my God, who's controlling my food system? It's just so insane. And you feel like, really, is this the world that I'm living in that I don't, it, it, it's something that grows freely, right? So that's a very interesting aspect. And uh, I wonder if you have any any other such uh, things that, that have come across, that come to your mind when you're working with this project. Oh gosh, the, yeah, it's it's so layered. It's just so layered because also in indigenous um in, in indigenous communities, we have the the history of genocide, we have the history of Indian boarding schools. Um, you know, our culture was literally banned and deemed illegal. Um 
So we're, we're also overcoming, um, you know, in, in this, you know, present day time we're uh, we're overcoming, um, ancestral trauma, historical trauma. Um, you know, a lot of the youth that I, I, I work with, they're not getting that education from their parents because their grandparents were the ones who were persecuted, the ones who remember being in these Indian boarding schools. And it's, that's something that's hard. That's difficult to shake. That's not something that, you know, one just gets over or says, well, the past is the past. Um, I, I applaud those who, who have that ability and that mentality. And they're just like, you know what, I'm leaving it back there and I'm moving forward. I'm doing um, what it is that I want to do. I'm not there anymore. Um, but there are very, very real uh, psychological barriers um, in in some of these instances uh, to doing this work. So uh, understanding that and having that sensitivity um, and also being an Indigenous person working in Indigenous communities as opposed to a non-Indigenous person um, trying to um, you know share share this education. There's a level of um, distrust. Um, and understand so because we have the receipts to, you know, to show that, you know, well, this has happened before, you know, why should I, you know, believe that you were doing um, the right things now or or teaching me the right things or that, you know, you're not going to turn around and essentially persecute me in, in some way, shape or form for, you know, then participating in this food sovereignty or speaking my traditional language or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so it's just so layered. And, you know, the fact that our own government, um, what was it, uh, Ronald Reagan in 1974, um, you know, designated uh, Diné or Navajo lands as um, uh, sacrifice zone, na national sacrifice zone. Essentially, the U.S. government said, you know what, there's there's nothing out here. There's nothing out here. Um, completely ignoring the fact that there's an entire sovereign nation of people uh, out there. And so the government granted permission to um, extract, to experiment, to whatever, because it was a national sacrifice zone. Um, and the ramifications of that are still being felt and will be felt for generations because then these companies also find loopholes where they can pollute, they can, you know, disrupt and extract, and they don't have to clean up after themselves. Uh, and so in many, many instances, it's the Native and Indigenous communities who are banding together and, and doing the work um, to clean things up or to, um, you know, fight another pipeline or, you know, what whatever the case may be. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. It's very, very layered. There's so many, so many elements to it. And, and so when we talk about this work and we talk about um, food sovereignty or regenerative practices and, you know, what does, what does the work look like in various communities or various regions um, there? Yeah, it's just so, so layered. And there's a lot to dig through um, to get to, um, you know, these regenerative practices that benefit um the the whole and entire population not just pockets of it and do you uh you know i feel like the the work that you do with community and younger people in the in the pachamama 5280 project have have these conversations been um a part of uh, the process especially with the youth in because you know it's been brushed under the carpet for such a long time and trauma is not going away. We have to address it. Um, and especially with indigenous, uh, the violence against indigenous people, destroying access to food or access to agriculture and lands was a big um, strategy in fact. Right. So I, I see this, it's really such a powerful way to bring about this healing that you the start point being working with the land. Um, but, but I'm just curious how, how these things emerge um, and heal through the process of uh, the work that you do. I'm so sorry, my cat has such an opening on this. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, the question is from the both of us. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, gosh, it um, it's it, it's so rewarding to to work with these these youth groups and and individuals. Um, it it is absolutely important to recognize uh, the histories of our of our communities. And it's also important in the same conversation to, you know, show a path leading forward. Like, yes, this has happened. You don't have to forget it. No, we in our community do not expect one another to forget it. Um, but I think there's a choice to be made when when each individual is ready. Um, I think that's a key point when each individual is ready, because I I could not have been doing this work when I was 25 years old. Um, I did not understand so, so much. And I had not done enough decolonizing work in my own personal life and in my own mind um, to be able to do it. So now this is so, so wildly exciting to do. Um, and the, the fact that I get to facilitate these, these conversations and these, you know, points of education is just so, um, it's an honor and it's so rewarding. Um, you know, so when, when folks are are ready to you know make make the decision to 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 walk these these paths to walk you know be in this journey um you know it is important to you know recognize recognize the past but also um you know forge your own personal path forward and how does that you know impact not just yourself but your family and your overall community and uh, understanding that ripple effect um, of, you know, going from that pinpoint center as far out as, as possible. And, um, you know, making these reconnections, I feel is hugely, hugely impactful. You know, when I go out to the strawberry patch to harvest the gratitude that I give, whether it's internally or I speak it out loud um, you know, like it's raining right now. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking Iyapa, who is our, our weather god uh, in the Andes, you know, for the rain, because I know that that's going to mitigate the wildfires that we have here in Colorado. It's going to help the vegetation grow. It's going to, it's going to help so much because I understand that it's a full circle system um, that has to be in balance. You know, when the rain goes away, things happen when the rain is here, other things happen. Um, you know, if a, a state or a county orders a cull to reduce a particular, you know, animal's presence, that has a direct impact on our ecosystems um, because you're taking something away in an unnatural way as opposed to letting the circle of life do what it's going to do. Um, so we as humans being the top predator we have to understand that as a responsibility as opposed to a power privilege. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so beautifully put. Yeah, the, it's the, the kind of arrogance with which we are interfering with the system when we really do not have the understanding of the entire system and also that that same arrogance which which is preventing the humility to say okay these are some movements and patterns of the earth which i can't measure and quantify and explain in data but rather i know intuitively and to be able to trust intuitive uh, information about the earth and then act in harmony is a big part of the regenerative mindset, which is a lot of the work that um, we want to bring to the world um, through our community and people like you. Like, though this is so important to understand um, that it's not just one, uh, it's, it's not just that we can do something and then forget about it and it just disappears. It, it has this is a full cycle and sometimes it comes back in in such different ways or it affects other people in other parts of the world in such different ways and of course animals and plants are being affected so much um i wonder if you if you have uh, any uh, 
any stories of uh, of how that that through your own journey you discovered that would help someone listening get a little bit of an understanding of like oh okay you know um so that this is how some some realizations in in your own journey that you could share oh boy uh <laughs> Uh, I I think one of the things that really, really kicked off the journey that I'm on now is that I, I was uh, in a, an emotionally and verbally abusive uh, marriage to my ex-husband at the time. And, and he was struggling with his own things, um, which is not uh, an excuse whatsoever. But, you know, I do want to recognize that he had his own uh, mental health issues that he was struggling with. Um and so towards the end of that relationship, I was, you know, starting to found the first iteration of Four Directions Cuisine, which was Four Directions MKE, uh, which is the abbreviation for Milwaukee, uh, which is in Wisconsin here in the U.S. And um, uh, it's only, I want to say it's about two hours from Oneida Nation, which is in the Green Bay area. And I... I was originally trying to put together a business plan based in South American cuisine. So it was Latino cuisine, but South American. Um, and the more research I did, the more layers that I stripped away, I realized, oh, our cuisine is actually indigenous. South American cuisine, as I started researching it, was because of Span Spanish colonization. Hello, Iyapa. I don't know if you can hear that thunder, but, you know, really, really happy that he's showing his presence yeah. today. <laughs> that makes me happy. He is also part of the conversation today. He is, absolutely. The the, the gods are here, and and uh, I, I'd like to think that uh, this is a favorable thing, you know, that he's here for this conversation. Um, uh, where was I? Oh, yes. Um you know, I was close to Oneida Nation. And so, you know, as I'm, you know, stripping away these layers of Spanish colonization, um, you know, I got to the heart of what South American cuisine and people and culture really are. And I didn't have a connection to um, Andeans at, at the time, um, another Andean to, to speak with, uh, but I did have uh, natives around. And so I, you know, tracked down a few folks at Oneida Nation and uh, the uh, my friend, uh, the late Jeff Metoxen, he was the uh, farm manager at Suniqua, uh, which is their organic native farm. And I got to hang out with the buffalo and he took me through their operation and explained so, so much, drove me around town, introduced me to people, took me over to the cannery where all Oneida women uh, worked. And so that um, reintroduction into a matriarchal society was just so warming and so welcoming. And the first thing they did with me was sat me down and they shared the creation story with me, which was hugely impactful, you know, talking about how Sky Woman fell from the Sky Worlds, you know, came plummeting down to the earth, which was all water. It wasn't earth yet. Um, and the animal saw this, you know, essentially shooting star uh, and then realized that it was Sky Woman. And then they all hustled together to make sure that she landed safely. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, animal after animal, you know, dove into the water to, to find soil, you know, and spread the soil on the back of the turtle so that she would have um, soil to grow crops and then uh, that leads into how the three sisters uh, story came, you know, came to be how we plant the three sisters of squash, beans and corn and how those three crops require different nutrients from the soil, but also put different nutrients into the soil. Uh, they also help each other grow and remain strong and, you know, are a security system for one another as well. And that they're covered for you know, some of the smaller animals, hiding spots, just the whole nine yards is just a full circle. Absolutely everything has a purpose. And so to, um, you know, to be able to connect with those individuals, it just sent me on uh, the journey that I'm on now, um, like with rockets on my feet. <laughs> 
Um, it was, it was just such, it was just such an impactful experience. I had never been in a room full of indigenous and native people before. Um, and to be that, you know, adopted person, to be that orphan, um, and to walk into community and for them to be so welcoming and, you know, essentially like say, you know, Hey, little sister, you know, Hey niece, Hey, you know, relative, we see you. We're happy to to teach you some things. We're happy to show you our create, you know, teach you our creation story. We're happy to show you how we make our Oneida white corn bread. Um, and spoiler alert, it's boiled. It's boiled. It's <laughs> a compact disc that gets boiled. You know, it's not a southern, you know, baked, um, you know, uh, bready, crumbly item. Um, you know, so that's, I, yeah, I want to say that was probably the biggest catalyst, um, for, for getting in, for, for starting to walk this journey, you know, it really, really just shone a light on essentially who I am without me realizing at, at the time, just, uh, shining a light on who I am, what my, my journey is, what, what my gift is, you know, like the ancestors gifted me with the power of stewarding land and food and telling stories through food, um, and that is just the, the the biggest honor that I get to to work with in my life. Yeah. Well, that's just, uh, I don't know, I got chills when you were telling the story. It's, um, and you're absolutely right. You do have this, this blessed gift uh, that, that really allows people to come together, learn, uh, evolve on the on the sort of basis of food, which is sustenance, which is really our first sort of direct connect with the earth itself. Um, and even in the origin story, it it's the earth that was sustaining life, and all the animals knew it. <laughs> and it's just so strange that we've come a full circle to a point where we don't know it anymore <laughs> that the earth is important that the soil is important and that it's life-giving uh just because it does not have a heart that looks like the heart that we've seen that is beating does not mean that it is not a living thing it's there's there's life everywhere in every being right um and it's just uh the, the the theme that this conversation is just bringing so powerfully to me is the importance of community and community that it spreads beyond just um beyond people it, its community is is in the plants the 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 three sisters are their community and they make they extend the community to um to to animals and insects and other uh plants even so it is is this a part of uh, what what brought you into the the profession of a chef, or was that the starting point, and then you um, sort of tried found this journey into uh, stewardship? It's very much a chicken or egg uh, <laughs> uh, story for sure. I I've always been interested and fascinated in food in um in in plant life i i also do recognize that i very much got away from um being drawn to that because i grew up in you know this very anglo dominated patriarchal uh world and so i did what i thought i was supposed to do you know which was okay you go through your schooling you have your career you you know have the personal life that you have you know, all the things, right? The quote unquote American dream. Um, and it wasn't until I was really struggling in my marriage. And then again, um, you know, really struggling in the fact that I had a day job and I was still trying to run Four Directions Cuisine and found Pachamama 5280 and, you know, just do all of these things that I really just sets my soul on fire in the best ways, right? Um, and I was just burning the candle from, I, I think I created like a third and a fourth ends, you know, at one point, you know, and uh, I had to turn the volume down and and I got, you know, I booked myself like a cabin for four or five days and just gone away and felt like I turned the volume off, honestly. And that's exactly what I needed. 
and just listen to the earth and listen to the, uh, to the plants and the animals, just listen to everything other than standard everyday society. And it dawned on me, it's like, okay, this is the time, you know, you've, you've been hustling and, you know, you're just so overextended that you missed it, but this is the time, sis. Like, this is when you walk away from that day job and you just go full board. And what did they say? Walk in your purpose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and man, did the gods and ancestors, you know, r- really hold me for, for that. Um, you know, I had, I had built myself a little bit of a runway, a little bit of financial stability, but uh, nothing like what, you know, business professionals and and experts and other and, and other folks would probably advise and i just took a leap of faith and said you know i i know how to do this and i know where i want to go um in certain aspects of the journey and i just i just it was like a light switched you know it was like you know something flipped and it was like okay this is this is it this is the time this is what you're doing you know, it's like <laughs> you do amazing work, do what you can do, you know, think generations and generations out in your work, not just how does this impact me or my communities right now? It's like, what, what is going to happen seven generations from now, 10, 12, 15, whatever it is, um, and be the best possible relative I can be in this life so that when I'm an ancestor, I can, you know, exhale and and look at what the relatives are are doing, you know, where did they pick up the work? Where are they taking it? You know, and am I going to be at peace in the ancestral world knowing that I did everything that I could do here and now in the natural world as a relative? But that's that's such a very powerful thought um that that you're thinking so so deeply about future generations that that it's not abstract to you that that there's somebody coming and you know the world and it, it's it's such a part of you and there's this I literally feel this connection between the past the present and the future through you as you're speaking and it's really um as you're saying that your ancestors holding you but also the way in which you're really positioning your thoughts and co- your consciousness you're shifting this understanding to uh, um that it doesn't end in this short 60 to 80 lifespan that were the uh, i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but whoever's lucky to leave <laughs> that lifespan but you know there's so much more it's it's longer and um one of the you know when i went to uh, i I'm, I'm not from the us but I went to the the one place that I really badly wanted to see in the U.S. was the Redwood Forest, just because I wanted to be in the presence of beings that have lived on this earth for a thousand years. And uh, I was just thinking, oh, my God, the earth is thinking in terms of thousand years. And we're not today in people are only thinking of this one generations, not even, not even, yeah, sure, accumulating wealth and opportunity for children, sure, but not health and well-being of the planet, which is really the home um, for your children. So um, I wonder what, what advice or what sort of insights you have for somebody who wants to make the shift in thought that how, how, how do people reorient to think about future generations um, in a way, in this very connected way that, it, that, that when you become an ancestor, what is it that, that, what is the wisdom that you want to pass on? Stop limiting yourself. Um, Society, uh, the patriarchy, uh, supremacy, it, it all sends this messaging that we're less than, that we can't accomplish certain things for whatever reason, right? You can't do this because you're Black or Brown. You can't do this because you're Indigenous. You can't do this because... Um, uh, of your socioeconomic standing. You can't do this because you didn't go to the right university or college. You didn't get the right education. Just 
the list goes on and on, right? I would just encourage folks to drown out the white noise in whatever way you you find helpful for your own personal life. For me, it's camping, it's foraging. Um, you know, if I need a little bit more comfort, it's booking a cabin, um, a fairly rustic cabin still, but just having more shelter, you know, a more sturdy shelter than a tent, um, you know, and a hunting knife or something like that. Um, whatever drowns out the white noise for you so that you can wholeheartedly listen to yourself, like tap into not just your mind, but like sink into your heart, sink into your spirit, um, sink into your body overall, um, and see where you feel discomfort, see where you feel peace, see where you feel, you know, whatever it is that, um, you know, wherever it is that you're, uh, struggling, you know, see if you can sink into it and, and dial out the, all of the white noise and just sink into yourself. Um, and I think once you find that, then you have a very tangible way to come up with a plan for yourself to, to, to chase that down, to make that your daily reality. Um, for, for me personally, you know, I'm, I'm an orphan. I'm from the barrios. I, you know, was essentially born in the slums, like Tin City of Caracas. Um, and then as, as what luck would have it or, you know, ancestral, you know, intervention happened. Uh, I was adopted by a white American couple. And, you know, while that did disconnect me from culture and heritage, and that has been a difficult um, experience and, and road, it did afford me with, um, you know, the ability to go to college, to go to the top culinary school in the country. It afforded me to get you know, my associates and my bachelors um, in in business and in, and in management, which meant that I could get certain jobs, which meant that I could get a certain amount of education in, um, you know, this very capitalistic world. And now I view it, I used to be really upset about it. And now I kind of view it as like, I was an undercover agent, you know, um, you know, I'm in the system and I see how it works. And then I get to decide, I don't like boxes. I don't, I like the unconventional. I like going against the grain. I like swimming upstream um, and making things happen that no one thought could happen, or especially that, you know, some orphan from, from the barrios, you know, could make happen. Uh, I really thoroughly enjoy proving people wrong and having that long dusty road of people who were not believers in, in me and the journey. Um, and so, um, you know, I, I hold on to that and I, I harness that those experiences and those feelings and say, okay, this is what the structure is. How can I dismantle it now (laughs) (laughs) in a way that benefits all of humankind, you know, because again, not looking at, you know, how does this benefit me or just my tight-knit community? How does it benefit everybody? You know, um, that's been, that, that's been, that's been my, uh, my ethos, I guess. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it feels such a warm and inviting process, um, which is certainly, it's, it sounds magical. It sounds fun as well. Thank you so much for sharing that little bit. Um, you know, we're almost at time, but um, I wanted to ask you a couple of more things. One is, uh, you know, you're, you also uh, do things like catering and um, food experiences, uh, and you bring all of this Indigenous wisdom and all of these experiences and your own research and your own um, knowledge into this whole process, uh, which is just really incredible for me uh and um you know we just were in, we're at the end of june and um i'm wondering what would you tell people is the right thing to eat right now like what what should what should uh people where you are at which is um colorado uh what would you suggest and uh and recommend that 
is should be on your on our plates today? Uh, well, we've had a significant amount of rain. So as a forager, I am really excited to see if there are mushrooms popping up. Um, or I shouldn't say if, I want to say, um, <laughs> say um, <Where? laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Where and how many trials? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. My, my, oh my gosh. The, yeah, the, the spring and summer foraging for mushrooms right now is, is bonkers if you can find find the right locations um berries uh the strawberries that are coming out of my patch right now have been really delicious oh gosh what else corn is coming into you know coming up all over the place um it's a little early for tomatoes um that's coming up next month for sure garlic scapes this is probably the last week that you're, you know, going to find them. So if that's, if that's your jam, you know, and you're in Colorado and, and uh, parts of the Midwest too, uh, I know they're, they're popping up ramps in the Midwest are, are definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, here in Colorado, the, um, the corn and the berries and oh, there's just so much coming out right now, right now. That's, that's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting, and um, I hope uh, I hope <laughs> I hope whoever's listening in uh, also looks around and uh, learns what is really local, what's happening right now, and uh, and is excited about what's growing right now. Uh, it really makes food so much more fun, right? If you're if it's like oh, it's raining and I get to eat mushrooms, <laughs> and um, well, you've done so much work and across the spectrum everything from like emotional and personal growth to accessing indigenous wisdom understanding your ancestry and and then bringing your own into it um at, at, a, at a professional level but also at a personal level at a community level um and it's just uh it's just such a holistic journey which is uh which is really and uh, at the intersection of all the things that we're talking about, that food is has the potential to be the starting point for the entire regenerative um, lifestyle mindset transformation that is required. Um, I'm wondering what are any of the immediate aspirations or your long-term goals for uh, for, for for yourself and uh, for uh, for your organizations and all the work that you're doing. Uh, I'm I'm really trying to break into more and more education-based e events, um, scholars in residence. Um, uh, I've applied to for the the Rachel Carlson Grant at Chatham University, which is a historically uh, women's college. They have the business school. They do a significant amount of work around um, sustainability, food access, and uh, certainly regenerative agriculture. Uh, so that's an exciting prospect. So I have my fingers crossed that I will be uh, a scholar in residence out there for um, a minimum of two weeks, um, working on a chef in residence out in Tacoma, where there'll be this, a beautiful knowledge exchange. You know, I bring my my Andean, um, uh, you know, cuisine and, and food understanding and experience. Uh, and out there in Tacoma, there are uh, so many wonderful, um, you know, native elders. And I, I asked one of uh, the organizers um, if, if I could be set up with one of them. I'm like, I don't care what I learn. I just want to learn something um, because I don't have access to that as, as often as I'd like. Uh, and so they were really, really sweet and so gracious. And uh, when we have those dates set up, there is an elder out there um, who has agreed to, uh, you know, teach this little orphan some things. Uh, so that's incredibly exciting. So just increasing my presence at colleges and universities um, in this country. And I have uh, dreams to do this work uh, on an international stage as well, whether that's Terra Madre or, uh, you know, uh, you know, per perhaps a, a significant event in India or, you know, wherever it is, you know, just showing how. How 
how how there are so many similarities between us that there is this connection of food and the need for healthy food and sustenance because it's one of the three need basic needs that we all have um and it, and it's something that we can all we can all get we can all accomplish there there doesn't have to be resource scarcity there's um power in regenerative practices and um you know, just doing things in a sustainable and and the right way in this balanced way, um, you know, that honors the land that we're on, you know, respectively, whether it's the land in the Americas or the lands on, you know, a different continent, whatever it may be, just understanding the origins and where that baseline balance and full circle system comes from and goes um, you know, as time goes on. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, just really increasing the educational work. I, I love working with food, um, but the educational work is, um, is even more rewarding and fulfilling than, than creating a beautiful plate of food. I want to, um, I want to help teach, um, and educate how to build these structures and these systems, uh, so that we can do it everywhere you know wow what a what a heartening um and inspiring uh, vision i wish all of that and so much more for you um it's so exciting to talk to you i learned so much um i feel like i feel so energized um so i, I sincerely thank you for being here today and sharing so wholeheartedly it was such a pleasure talking to you Absolutely a pleasure for me as well. Um, yeah, these conversations are very empowering and very energizing for me. If, I feel like I can take on the world after I, I have these conversations with like-minded folks. So I really, really appreciate the time and, and the platform to have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope you do. I hope you do take on the world. <laughs> <laughs> This is Regenerative Rising's podcast, Elevating Stories, Activating Change. I am your host, Nisha Mary Paolos, Executive Director of Regenerative Rising. And with me today is Chef Andrea Murdoch, Chef and Founder of Four Directions Cuisine. <laughs>